Yeah, I'm Paul Schaefer. I'm Will Lee. And you are watching the Letterman Podcast. Welcome once again to the Letterman Podcast with Mike Chisholm. I am Mike Chisholm. I am so excited for this episode because it is the return of Tom Dreesen. Now, the first thing I got to apologize for is the audio. Okay, something's going on with my little soundboard here, and I think I'm going to have to maybe do a replacement on it. Um, Tom came on. I tested all the equipment. Tom came on. And suddenly I sounded like um, Alvin from Alvin the Chimney. Actually, you know what? I'm not cool enough to sound like Alvin. I probably sounded like Theodore. Uh, but anyway, uh, I sounded uh, weird. And I realized that it's something to do with my soundboard. I don't know exactly what it is. But um, I did a bunch of uh, changing around on the settings. And, and so I kind of sound like an echoey... I don't even know. I, I, there's an echo there and something on my end. It's my fault. It's this soundboard's fault. Uh, figure that out. We'll upgrade things. We've upgraded the studio as we've gone along. I think about Tom's first appearance on the, on the Letterman podcast where it was just in front of that brick wall. And I you know, didn't know anything about framing or presentation or lighting or anything like that. Uh, we're moving forward. So technologically, we'll move forward from this as well. Um, so I got to apologize for that. But it doesn't matter. Once you get past that, the content is so great. And Tom Dreesen is just, I just appreciate him so much. I, I look at Tom as a hilarious sage. Really, honestly, he is. Um, he's so funny and so insightful and so clever um, and so intelligent in all of those things. Um, but he also cares for people deeply. The only reason he came on the show originally was because he cared for somebody wanting to um, preserve the stories uh, and the impact of of his friend David Letterman and 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 Tom um, loves telling stories. I I love listening to the same story from Tom. I I you know I just I could sit there and listen to him all day and 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 we start the conversation talking about what he does for 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 comedians and and some of the workshops and things he puts on for mindset and things like that. I love that stuff. Uh just a great episode with Tom. Enjoyed it very very much and uh you know what let's just get right to it. Uh comedy legend and one of David Letterman's best friends um, a guy who's passing on a torch, kind of like what we're doing right here. He's passing on the torch of Frank Sinatra. And I just love that about Tom so much. We're trying to pass on the torch of David Letterman and company. Um, and all these things are intertwined here. And you'll see how in the return of Tom Dreesen. Uh, Tom, I, I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you're back here. Thank you for putting up with our technical difficulties. Hey, everybody, I might have a little bit of uh, echo on my end this episode. It doesn't matter. We've got Tom Dreesen here again. And this is so exciting because uh, it's been about a year since Tom came on our show. It was June 3rd, I believe, was uh, last year was the first time he came on. And um, what has happened since then, how much we've grown and all these things that have happened. One thing that hasn't changed, though, is is uh, how much I appreciate Tom Dreesen so, so much. I've said this uh, many times since meeting him. It's like meeting your favorite uncle for the very first time. Tom, I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming back on the Letterman Podcast. I'm happy to be here, Mike. I'm happy. I got a real slam day, but I, I'm squeezing this in because I, you know, that would be a lot of fun. I was up early this morning working out. I got also, um, you know, it's a long story, but I got a lot of, I had to do two other podcasts. And and later on today, I've got it. I'm going into the gym to work out on some stuff. 
and then um, I'm, I'm, so many things happening, but uh, I'm happy to be with you anyhow. You are that guy, um, and I just appreciate I appreciate everything, both in front of the camera and then obviously off the camera as well, the advice that you've given and, and, and whatnot. I appreciate this so much. You just met Don Giller. Before we hit the record button, you just met Don Giller for the first time. I love that. Uh, one of the things that um, that 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 you guys kind of joked about was you said, "Oh, hey, you've got all these, you've got all my all my appearances, that sort of thing. Uh, get me some of the big laughs and send it to me." One of the big laughs that I still to this day adore, um, Dave. And I, this is this is it's going to lead to a question. It's going to lead to you burning one of your jokes. It's okay, you already burned it on Letterman. Uh, I heard you were dating a homeless woman. Yeah, well, that, that's. I, I, I do that sometimes in my nightclub act. I, you know, I'm, this is the greatest year of my life. I'm going out with a homeless woman now. And I say, it's great. After a date, you can just drop her off anywhere. You know, and it's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it always gets a good laugh, you know. You're on panel with Dave. You tell that joke. Is that planned that you're going to tell that joke, or are you guys just freewheeling at that point? No, you know, he, he wanted to know questions that he's good in all talk shows would do this yeah. the only person who didn't do that was um our guy oh god why did I, the guy who followed david levinman the guy from oh and i love the guy ferguson uh, yeah yeah it, it, no no not Ferguson. the guy oh. from conan no 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 the guy was it for, who, the guy who was from uh, scotland or ireland or yeah craig ferguson yeah yeah he famously would tear up the uh the blue cards and throw yeah. them away he would never, he never wanted, he just wanted to sit down like we were meeting for the first time, which is a pretty good idea because he was clever. But David and all the talk shows, they were Johnny Carson, Jay, all of them. They want, give me questions to ask the guest. And, and of course they want funny responses. Yeah, You know, Johnny Carson set that precedent years ago. It's a comedy show. People yeah. watch the news all day long. They go to work, they go through all the problems. They come home have dinner with the family there's more problems they turn on the evening news from they go to the second job or whatever they come home now they're home at night and and uh, and, and they turn on the news more war and problems but they get in bed and they switch over to johnny and they're gonna go to sleep laughing so yeah. don't come on with you know come on with funny stories it's a comedy show so david was no different all of them give us give your guest questions that the telecoordinators would interview you yep and Tell them to ask about, I hear you got a new dog and you got a funny story, you know, or uh, you had a problem at the airport the other day, I understand, you know, you know <laughs> that and that would lead to a funny story. However, with Dave, no matter how much you gave them, at any point, he may go into a totally different direction. You know, <laughs> I had an example of that. And I can't remember uh, something of one time that he was supposed to ask me a question and he went. Totally. He almost went to the answer before the question or something, you know, but he would do yeah. that. He was spontaneous and you had to, you had to be on your toes if you're going to do that show, you know, because uh, well, well, it's funny, Tom, like not through this year, I've met and, um, and talked to so many people about this stuff. One of the things that, that it seems like Dave liked to do, whether it was in front of the camera or off camera to, to certain staffers, he loved to throw out little test balloons. He loved to throw out little, uh, 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 quotes or, or or anecdotes or somebody's name. Did you ever know this person? That sort of thing. He always loved to throw out little things to see if 
if people would either take the bait or or or, or understand what he was talking about. Um, and I think that after doing what he did for so long, when he had somebody in the chair with him who he could kind of play around a little bit with and throw things at, you're certainly an example of that uh, where you guys could go off script pretty easily and then bring it back on again. Well, he, he would go off on me all the time. He'd go off script. <laughs> he, he would be polite enough as a friend to make sure he got the shot in that I'm appearing at such and such a place. Oh, yeah. But for the most part, uh, you, you, had to be, you had to be ready. When I went in there, I knew, but I didn't give a damn because he's my friend. Yeah. And I, I love that spontaneity. You know, and it wasn't like you're going on the show and, oh, my God, if this doesn't work, I'm never going to get on again. I, and so I didn't have that pressure. You yeah. know, I knew it was my buddy. Oh, gosh, I got to shut this off. Oh, I forgot to shut this off. Hold on one second. No problem. We're all good, man. Yeah, By yeah. the way, you were on Craig Ferguson. Uh, November 11th of 08 was your appearance. I'm sorry. Say that again. No, 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 no. I was, I was literally just telling the audience. You appeared November 11th, 08. That's when you appeared on Ferguson on Late Late Show. Oh yeah, and and I hosted that show after you know before those guys after David, um, uh, you know, one of the guys left. I can't remember David. Yeah. After Craig show. left. Yeah, they had guest I, hosts. I hosted that show a couple of times. That was fun too. Uh, but anyway, I'm going back to Dave. You yeah. know, it, it sets relaxing for me to go sit. First of all. He wouldn't see me before the show. Even if I came in town a day early, we didn't go out to lunch, we didn't go out to dinner. He wanted to see me for the first time when I sat down next to him. Uh, because he, like, like Johnny Carson felt the same way. That, that Sometimes you go in the green room and, you, and, and you're talking for a half an hour, you give away the interview in there. You give away the energy. of the yep. So when I walked out to see him, I was saying, hey, Dave, good to see you. I, and I really meant that because we'd shake hands because I hadn't seen him, you know. Uh, yeah, we'd go to dinner and we'd hang out. You know, you're one of the few. You're one of the few guys that actually did the uh, uh, the dinner after the show. You know, Larry Sanders made the joke about that. The idea of the host going out for dinner and 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 people used to talk about that all that time. Dave famously didn't do that very often. You're one of the the notable exceptions. I want to talk a little bit about right right now. Uh, the Flash just came out. I know Dave. Um, he talks about his time with Michael Keaton back in the day. You would have been around that that as well. Michael Keaton would have been at the comedy store at that time, right? Oh yeah, we, no, I, I was going stage every night at the comedy store with all these unknown comedians. Yeah, uh, David Letterman, Jay Leno, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, uh, Elaine Boozler, Gallagher. Uh, we worked at one little club. The, the girl waiting tables was Deborah Winger. You know. Yep. Uh, yeah. So. In 89, uh, and one of my very favorite uh, uh, late night episodes was was Michael Keaton showing up because Michael Keaton's Batman. And, and it, it makes me just chuckle to think about you guys, the, the, the guys that you all ran with, and realizing that one of the guys that you ran with was going to play Batman. And so this all happens, and, and you guys talk about it back then. Well, now we're here in 2023, and the new tentpole Warner Brothers DC movie, The Flash, just comes out, and there's Michael Keaton playing Batman again. <laughs> I saw it the other day already. How crazy is that? That one of your boys got to play Batman not once but twice. <laughs> I mean, all that. If you, you know, when we were brand new, you know, all of us spoke like, you know, we 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 were heading, we were trying to get to the heights. But I never knew that. Jay Leno and David Letterman would be late night talk show hosts. Uh, yep. I, I never would have thought that. Or Michael being Michael was a stand up comedian. I didn't realize what a brilliant actor he was. 
you know, uh, all of them, you know, Robin, you know, Robin was from outer space the first time you met him because of his comedic skills. But they, they, it's interesting that class, our class, uh, they went to and the things they did, you know, um, I'm, I'm proud of them all. You know, there's a, a, a Yiddish word, fell. I'm, I'm, I'm Irish, Italian, so I'm, I'm not Jewish, but I carried an all Jewish country club and they spoke a lot of Yiddish. And so I, I would, we would pick up on it, uh, us Gentiles. But one of the words I always like was fell. You know, you see your friends and you swell with pride. I, I fell when I, when I saw David, when I'd see David on, on the show, hosting a show or, 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 or Jay or, uh, any of it, you guys, Michael in the movie or Deborah Winger was playing Wonder Woman and, and Wonder yeah. Gals and, and, and then also became a, a wonderful actress. Um, I, I swallowed pride because they, they, we started out together. You know. And then, of course, and I mean, we said this the first time that you, you showed up here. I, I still marvel at that fact about people in your class, yourself with Sinatra and all those people. Like, it's just bonkers how your class got a chance to do all these things and spread out the way that they have. Uh, last time that, that that you were on, I didn't get a chance to ask you. Um, I know you do a lot of, like even just this last weekend, you did a, 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 um, a I call it personal development because I'm a big personal development guy, but you do these uh, these 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 sessions oh, for stand-ups. And, and, and you have all sorts of, um, it's a, like a workshop where you can teach them not just about material and whatnot, but like the business and all the other things that come out uh, and that are necessary. I just love that you do this. Um, you obviously have your finger on the pulse of what stand-up is today. I'm super curious as to, are there comics that you're watching these days? Um, and, and uh, you know, stand-up now versus stand-up back then. What are some of the things maybe that have changed and what are some of the things that maybe have stayed the same? What has definitely changed is the language. I mean, you, yeah. you know, uh, you know, first of all, I'm going to digress and answer your first question. Sure. Saturday at the comedy Chateau in North, North uh, Hollywood, I gave a motivational talk to comedians called the joy of stand-up comedy and how to get there. And yeah. I also gave that at the comedy store about a month ago. So I, this is something I, I give motivation talks all around the country to corporate America at universities and everything on four subjects, perception, visualization, self-talk, and develop a sense of humor. And I elaborate on those, those points. And then I have a Q&A afterward. Saturday at the Comedy Chateau, it was amazing crowd, about 110 comedians and they just, uh, they were so excited. And, and, uh, and, I, and I kept, I, through my motivation, they were just very responsive. And then I had a Q&A that lasted almost an hour. They just had such, wonderful questions but most of all it wasn't to teach them how to be comedians although i can give them advice if they ask me but because they they want to be comedians they were there because they want to be comedians yeah it's to motivate them into this wonderful profession that we're in that 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 enjoy the journey most comedians do not enjoy the journey you know um i I always have said and you've heard me say this mike 85% 85% yeah. of all stand-up comedians I met in my life are insecure, neurotic sometimes, psychotic, uh, <laughs> love-starved, wrecks, absolute wrecks. And the other 15% are gifted, confident people who say, I know how to write a joke and I know how to tell a joke. So I try to encourage them into being in that 15%. I always say to them, I like to think I'm in the latter, but never trust somebody that tells you they're sane, but, you know, I say, <laughs> but to enjoy the journey. You know, uh, all the while that I was 
doing in my career and I'm still working all the time. Yeah. I time out. To, I played softball in the past pitch league, the show business league, you know. I played basketball in the Van Nuys Y till I was 47. And I played in the past pitch league till I was 57. Yeah. I wanted to enjoy the journey. You know, uh, Christopher Morley once said, success is living the life you want. You know, what's the point of, the one thing I enjoy more than anything in the world is making people laugh. Yeah. But you can't do that 100% of the time. You got to take some time off, enjoy this journey, do some yeah. charity work, um, you know, do some personal work. And I try to convey that to them, motivate them that you are in the greatest profession on the planet, bar none. Not because I'm in it, making people laugh. A long time ago, it was a theory. Uh, laughter is healing. It was a theory. It's no longer a theory. Hmm. You know, we always have known that the brain can't think of two thoughts at the same time. So if you're watching a comedian working, you're not thinking of your problem. So laughter is psychologically a deterrent. Yep. But now because of Norman Cousins, <clears throat> the man who wrote the book, Healing Heart, and he wrote another book called The Anatomy of an Illness, um, who was dying of a, of, of, a, of a heart ailment, and the doctors told him he was going to die because of all the stress he had, heart problems. He laid in the hospital and thought, if, my, if stress, negative input made me ill, then positive input should make me well. So he checked out of the hospital, and you'd only watch I Love Lucy reruns, Candid Camera, Three Stooges, Marx Brothers. He wouldn't watch the evening news, only watch comedians. He lived 27 years after the doctors told him he was going to die. So like I tell the comedians, laughter is psychologically a deterrent. We know that. And now we know it's physiologically therapeutic because when the human body laughs, UCLA did research on this because of Norman Cousins. When you have a hearty laugh and you laugh as hard as you can, endorphins are released from the brain into the bloodstream. So after a big laugh, you sometimes go, oh, and the sense of well-being, tears come down, you have a sense of well-being. Your body's gone through an actual chemical change. So laughter is not only psychologically a deterrent, it's physiologically therapeutic. Therefore, comedians are physicians of the soul. And I say to them, doctors, and I applaud them, that you're in the great, you're going to go around the rest of your life and you're going to help make people healthier. Yeah. You know, and th that's what I want them to realize. What an important profession you're in. And then I'll, mm. I'll, I'll do one more point, and then I'm sorry, I don't mean to go this long on this, but. No, no, no. This is great. Here's the next point that insurance companies went around the world for eight years, all around the world, trying to find out the 10 fears of man. Death was fourth, pain was second, getting up in front of an audience was the number one fear of mankind. I said, if you can get up in front of an audience as a house painter, and talk about being a house painter or, or, or a lawyer or a doctor for 45 minutes or an hour, you're in less than 1% of the population of the world. If you can get up and make people laugh for one hour, you're in less than one millionth of 1% of the population of the world. Do you know how special you are? Oh. Don't ruin that. Don't tarnish that by destroying this marvelous thing you have that communities have the brain with drugs, alcohol, and all sorts of other stress. You know, yep. you, you can make people laugh. That's a God-given gift. You've worked hard to develop that, but don't throw that away with drugs and alcohol, you know, because you're very important to the, the health of our society. I love this. I love that that's who you are. If um, if I'm looking for uh, uh, wisdom and 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 and, 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 and I hate to use the word elder, but an elder statesman of, of, of standups, uh, you are certainly it. Uh, the wisdom that you're putting out there is is uh, 
it's wonderful that you're able to take again some of these concepts that that folks use in business or they use to you know improve their lives that sort of a thing to to channel it so specifically for stand-ups and have a heart that you have because i mean i mean i got a lot of stand-up uh, friends in my life too and i know what you're talking about when you say some of these people i mean the the neurosis that are there and and, and the journey to get to where they want to get to is not an easy one the fact that you are helping and and, and putting a hand out to help people up and, and get to that place is is admirable uh when i was asking about the current uh you know landscape first thing you said is is, is language now um are you you're particularly you're you're pretty much 99 percent clean aren't you no i mean i i can be naughty you know i i think it's <laughs> between being dirty and being naughty right being naughty you know that, that's what i think is uh, uh, and I'm and I'm going to elaborate on this, but yeah. it's oftentimes when we go out on stage, you know, inside is the child. They wrote a book many years ago about called "Heating the Child Within." Yeah. But inside all of us is inside of you. There's a little Mike, you know, that's inside of you. He's the little boy. Uh, he's six years old. He loves everybody. He wants everybody. He's going to first grade. He wants everybody to like him. He's just that little boy, you know. And so sometimes yeah. little Mike might say something naughty and yeah. get a laugh. You know? When the comedian goes out on stage as the man, sometimes he lets that naughtiness come out in him. And you can be that little boy that's saying those things, that, oh, oh, you shouldn't have said that, you know, yeah. type of thing. Now, my, uh, you know, I, I, when I say the language is different, I know every dirty joke there ever was or ever will be. I mean, yep. I'm wearing a Navy hat today because I just did an interview with the Naval War College. Uh, awesome. that I do shows for the Navy sometimes and for the Gary Sinise Foundation. So, uh, anyhow, but awesome. I, I, so I was in the military for years. There wasn't a, a dirty joke that I didn't hear or couldn't tell and love them. And I'll, I'll tell them I, I've done, I've done stag roast with the best of them. But when I started out, you couldn't make any money with that. We're in show business. That's two yeah. words, show and business. When David Letterman, Jay Leno and I and all, and, and, uh, and, and Robin Williams and, and Michael Keaton, as you were talking about earlier, all those people, all Lane Boozler. When we started out, there was three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to make it in the business, you had to get on The Tonight Show. Uh, so we're in show business. So we say, okay, well, how do I get on The Tonight Show? You watch Johnny Carson and you, you watch the comedians that were on there. You had the right material that could make grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and the kids laugh. You had the right material like that. You yep. couldn't say, go to hell. You couldn't say damn. And then later, cable came along. When cable came along, oh, well, God, you can say whatever you want to say, you know, uh, you know, just, just go off on everybody. And, sure. and, and that's, and there's, look, there's only one rule in comedy, Mike, be funny. That's the only rule in comedy. There isn't, well, you, you can't say this and you can't say that. Right now, the, the politically correct police who are so full of shit, who are trying to stifle comedians, you yes. know, uh, you know, telling what, what, you know, what we have to say, what we can say, and what we can't say. You know, well, you know, I, I'm so angry at them. We have the First Amendment. Thousands of men and women died in this country, hundreds of yep. thousands. So we have the First Amendment, freedom of speech. You don't have to listen to us. You can turn us off. You can walk out the door. You can ask for your money back. Yep. But you can't tell people what they must say. Because when you start telling people what they must say, the next step is you're going to tell them what they must think. And yes. then the communist government and, 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 and the government rules, not not. The, the man so anyhow uh so i'm going back to saying there's only one rule in comedy is to be funny and 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 now when comedy clubs came along and cable television came along yeah young kids swarmed to these clubs 
And all of a sudden they were seeing comedians that were, there wasn't a subject that they wouldn't talk about. And these young kids going into the club said, oh, that's comedy. When I was growing up, you saw Jack Benny, Bob Hope, Johnny Carson, and you yep. said, oh, that's comedy. But the kids growing up, they see, you know, they, they saw, you know, uh, a lot of the comedy, like Dave Chappelle and said, oh, that's comedy. And that's okay, because it, it's whatever floats your boat, you know. Yep. I, I, I wanted to get into this talk with you today. I thought it was going to happen like maybe later on, but I'm so glad it's kind of evolved into this because uh, I want to bring it back to Dave for, for just a second here. It is fascinating to me watching Dave uh, lately. Um, and I don't even know what the phrase is, whether it's dip his toe, dip his toe a little bit or, or, or talk a little bit about the current comedy scene. Um, he was on Neil Brennan's podcast uh, blocks, which was, um, you know, talk about, you know, a, a new sensibility. Neil Brennan, when he goes out and does things, it's Chappelle's former uh, former writing partner. And he talks a lot about mental health and 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 he and Dave, and as they were talking back and forth about things, uh, you know, Dave's like, oh, nobody wants to know about my personal life or things. And Neil's like, no, 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 that's what everybody wants now. It's It's shifted. It's gone into this place where everybody is vulnerable and they throw things out there. Um, Dave talks a little bit about Burt Kreischer out there and, and what a phenom Bert has become and is delighted when he realizes how much Bert, uh, Bert made like $25 million last year. And Dave was delighted by that. And, and, and I love watching Dave interact with new comedians, the guys who are on top Chappelle being on my next guest. Uh, another example of that, Tiffany Haddish as well. Um, I want to know with yourself, because you came from the same generation. Um, you know, you did such a good job just talking about, uh, what things were like when you were breaking in and then then cable and things evolved and whatnot. Uh, you talk about freedom of speech. Back in the day, you know, Carlin and those people and Pryor and those people were probably pissing off the, you know, what then would have been considered the conservatives, the right. Now these types of people, Chappelle and and, and some of these people that are that are that are pushing the envelope, they're pissing off people on the left, the political correctness police as you're talking about. And isn't it interesting how we've seen the pendulum swing from one to another. So, I mean, I just threw out a whole bunch of stuff there, but I love talking to you about this. You are nothing short of an expert. And um, yeah, like, like, uh, are, are there any comedians today that you're watching that are kind of, uh, you know, that, that intrigue you? Oh yeah, I mean, so many, Bill Burr. I worked with Bill Burr at the comedy store a while back, I mean, several yeah. times. I, I like Bill a lot, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco, you know, like, yep. I, I like him. yeah, the, see today you can go anywhere you want to go. now. Fortunately, some of those guys like Bill Burr, he grandfathered his way in there. He built this big audience. And yep. now they're all coming to see him. And, if, and if, you, if you don't like what he says, what the hell did you pay the ticket for? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so so uh, you can, you know, that part, you know, George Carlin and, and Richard Pryor also, they had a following. And then, then they went, you know, uh, somewhat. Well, Richard, you know, was a friend of mine. And I thought the world of him now. Yeah. You know, he I, I, he he was sometimes sometimes Richard was in a dark place, and and, and sometimes he was just a genius on a stage, you know. But yeah, again, there's all for, for, there's all kinds of different laugh theaters. There is no funniest ever ever in the history of comedy. Oh, that's the funniest because funniest is what makes you laugh. It could that's be, right. One time I was on a show with five comedians in the Dinah Shore show, and they were we were talking stand up comedy, and she said to me, "Who's the Who's the funniest person out there? I said, Don Pelizzi. She said, Don Pelizzi? I, I never heard of him. She said, he's my cousin. She said, oh, is he a comedian? I said, no. 
but he cracks me up every time I see him. He walks into the room and I'm laughing. So in my world, he's the funniest person. So the funniest person in the world is what makes you laugh. Yeah. Who makes you laugh, you know? Uh, there, there is no funniest or funnier. As for David, he's, you know, he's been my buddy for, God, 45 years or more. Yeah. Uh, and we and we we shared some real personal moments in our in our careers, and and I think the world of him and his wife and 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 his son, you know Harry, uh, he's just a real good buddy, and has been there for me whenever I needed him, and I've been there for him whenever he's needed me. Yeah. But I noticed him grow through the years, you know how hard he worked in the beginning, how dedicated he was to that show, to almost an obsession. Yeah. And, and when Harry was born. You know, after and after being with Regina and then Harry, how how much he changed as a human being, and now he's far more vulnerable. And Neil Brennan tried to get him. I know Neil real well. I like Neil a lot, by the way. Yep, very clever. And Neil tried to. That's that whole show is about get to this to your vulnerability. Yep. You know, I always t tell comedians sometimes, don't be afraid to be vulnerable in front of an audience. You know, Carl Reiner once said to me, Tommy, you want to make them laugh? Show them your pain. They love mm -hmm. to see your pain. Show them your pain. You know, Frank Sinatra, tough guy, right? Everybody thinks I'm this tough guy. Not in a song. No. Not in a song. He put his guts out there. Yep. Because he immersed himself in the lyric and became that the, the, he became that lonely guy in the bar whose woman left him. He's never going to find love again. You know, Frank Sinatra was a brilliant actor, but people forget that. He won the Academy Award. So when you gave him a song, it was a script. Yep. So the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand. So with comedians, don't be afraid to show them your pain. Now, that's what Neil's show is all about. Open up, tell us about you. Dave always says, no one's interested in anybody, uh, my personal life. If you're a fan of David Letterman, you damn sure are interested. You really want Absolutely. to know all about But there's always a fear in certain people that if I expose myself too much to them, yeah. you know, they still like me. Yeah. But, you know, some people, when they walk on stage, have a stage persona, and some people are just a continuation of themselves. Yeah. The guy you're talking to now is the same guy that will get on stage. I, I'm, this is exactly who I am on stage. That doesn't make me right or wrong, but I, I always say the best thing for comedians is the, the, use that tagline, Candid Camera Head. Caught in the act of being yourself. You know, the audience wants to know about you. So, you know, when you go out on stage, when you're a new comedian, you're doing yeah. an impression of another comedian because you know that work. When you're a new comedian, you're, I can watch a new comedian and say, oh, he likes uh, Jay Leno, or he likes Letterman, or he likes uh, George Carlin, or he likes Jerry Seinfeld, whatever. Because yeah. they're, they're doing an impression of a comedian. But one day you let a little bit of you out. And if it gets a laugh, you let a little bit more of you out. And pretty soon, now you got about 10 minutes and you're a little more, and pretty soon you become you out there. And from that moment on, you grow in leaps and bounds. Because yep. now you say, it's okay to be me. They like me. Now I can tell them about me and what pisses me off, what makes me sad, what makes me happy. What, you know, and now I can really be me out there, you know? Yeah. Anyhow. I, uh, I, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you know Neil. He's a guy that I have uh, personally, you know, we're we're similar aged, and 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 I just uh, really appreciate where he, uh, his perspective, and where he comes from. Um, I mean, I love everything that uh, you know that, that Dave Dave puts out there and whatnot. But 
that appearance, um, when, when, when Dave appeared uh, with Neil, that's one of my favorite things that I've ever seen him do. And I think the vulnerability is a, is, is a big part of it. Neil asked many of the questions, if not most of the questions, like I've already, I've already, I know if ever I get Dave on the other side of this Zoom, if ever I get him on here, I'm not going to talk to him about the past. I'm going to just shoot the shit with him about where things are right now. Um, because I know that he doesn't like to talk about that stuff. And I'm also, I'm not Neil Brennan, but Neil Brennan is Neil Brennan. And he was able to kind of ask some of these questions that people would be interested to know, like asking him about, you know, you know, back in the day with Jay or how he feels about Jay now, all that kind of stuff, stuff that I would kind of shy away from. He went head first into it. And it just, it's so interesting watching where Dave's at now compared to where he was back then. I don't see Dave doing that interview 10 years ago with Neil. And it just shows how much Dave has evolved as well. Would you, would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, because you know what, you know, you, you do the show, you're in competition. You yep. Now these guys are competitors. I played basketball with Dave Letterman. I played racquetball with Dave Letterman. Very <laughs> competitive individual. Very competitive. Yep. And and, and uh, he wants to win. And when he had the, they had those shows and those late night wars and all that stuff, they were competitive. You're looking at the ratings every day and everything. And then and and both felt like one or the other offended one another and all that stuff. So it got real personal. As time goes by, yeah. You know, you look back over your life and you look back over those shows and you go. You know what? The most important lesson you can learn, I'm not that big a deal. Yeah. Big a deal. I worked hard. I accomplished some things. But you know what? It's all going to pass. You know what? Let me give you an example. Johnny Carson was huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Yep. Huge on the air for over 30 years. I'm out in front of the Laugh Factory one night, trying out some new material. I come outside. A young couple are talking to me. He's he's 34 and his wife is 32. Yeah. They're talking to nice people. And in the conversation, I said something, well, you know, Johnny Carson. And she stared at me. I said, Johnny Carson. She said, Johnny Carson. I said, yeah, Johnny. She said, is he the guy that was on before Jay Leno? Now, what I realized is Jay had been on for 24 years. This girl was 32 years old. Yeah. When she was a little girl, she couldn't stay up late to know about any Johnny Carson. By the time she was about 15, 16, could say, wait, Jay Leno was on or David Levin was on. What I'm saying is, is that as big as Johnny Carson was, all the wonderful, magnificent things he accomplished and did and stars he brought up, it's gone. So yep. in the end, all you have are memories. So make some real good memories. You know, make some real good memories. But it, the most, the best you can do when you get older is just realize, you know, I'm not that important. I, I'm just another person that did the best we could with what we had, and and and, and that's it. But what will really matter in the end is, gee, I remember the friendship I had with Dave Letterman when Dave didn't have a dime and I didn't either, and we would yep. play basketball together. Um, I, I remember, you know, th that's the things you want to remember. You want to remember my children and my children and what we did and 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 uh, and the relationship I have with them, and and that's where Dave is at now. You know. Yeah. And, and I, I read years ago of, of nurses, doctors, chaplains who were around people that were dying in combat, in war, and in older years. And, and they entered all these, it took them years. What were some of the last thoughts of that person that was dying? Yeah. In combat, almost always, like 95 out of 100 guys that were dying in combat, 
didn't cry out for God. They cried out for their mother. They worried about their mom, you know, their, my, my mom. And as elderly people, when they didn't have long to live, their last thoughts were on their children, you know, on my, you know, on my children. Did I do right or did, did, how do, you know? So it wasn't about all your your awards. It wasn't about all the money you have. It wasn't no. in you know. And, and and I'll finish with this story. I, one story leads to another. On Frank Sinatra's 82nd birthday, we were all over the house. He died five months later, and all these stars were there and we were having dinner and, and a lot of big names. And, and we're waiting for the cake to come out. Dinner was over and Frank was off to the side. And yeah. he wasn't saying much. He was still eating a little bit. And he was off to the side. We were all at the big table and we didn't know if he was quite with us sometimes because he just, you know, he didn't have long to live. Yeah. And the cake going. somebody said, gee, where's the best place to live? And Gregory Peck said, Veronique and I, his wife, Veronique, we have a villa in France and we like it there. And Robert Wagner, Joe St. John, we have a place in Aspen. We like it there. And Frank, with his head down, said, the best place to live is where your friends are. And everybody went, oh, wow, you know. And I told that story on Lebanon Show, by the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I uh, I remember it. Um, that is, I love it. Here's Go a guy ahead. Who, my point about it, here's a guy who amassed yes. fortunes, who three Academy Awards. Um, yep. All the things that he did. And in the end, it wasn't about any of those things. It was about relationships, friendships he made. And David is in that place now, I believe. In the, in the Brennan episode, he, he brought up the love for Harry and, uh, cause Neil, you know, famously, he talks about this all the time. He doesn't have kids and, 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 you know, he's trying to work on his own stuff in, in, in his head. And, and, uh, but he says to Dave, he goes, that's the good stuff, right? Everyone tells me that's the good stuff. Uh, when he was talking about Harry, you know, the love for 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 a child, that's the good stuff. Um, I love that we got into this today and are talking about this, Tom. I want to talk a little bit about perspective and some of these other things that Dave's done. He interviewed Volodymyr Zelensky, you know, and 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 he's going down the path of, you know, the guy that he he replaced originally. He's he's doing the Tom Snyder stuff, which which is so fun to see. Dave taking all of these things that he has learned and 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 doing this. Did you watch the interview that he did with uh, Zelensky? Not yet. No, no. I you know I I watched some of them. You know some of them. Yeah. I love watching David. You know he had my friend Tiffany Haddish on. I I've been helping her since she's fifteen years old. Yeah. And and uh, and they taught. She even brought that up. You know. Uh, and so I, I watched. You know I'm. You know he. You know the. the I wanted him to interview a guy named Jordan Peterson. You know, oh my gosh yeah i i just saw jordan peterson speak actually I, oh did you i want i want and david said david said to me watch him he said he'd eat me up you know and i said no he wouldn't because you would show respect for him but you know the if there's one thing that i could say about david and i say it in front of him sometimes and he he wants a poo poo and, and don't even bring that up yeah he does not know how good he really is and nor does he want to know how good he really is <laughs> That's a good, okay, let's expound on that a little bit. <laughs> he's really, really, he's extraordinary in so many ways. Yeah. He's smart, he's bright, he's intelligent, he's curious, yep. you know, uh, uh, he's opinionated. He's got his, I know his opinions on a lot of things. He doesn't bring that up in an interview. So he just wants to know your thing. Yeah. You know? And he, he's, he's, He's just, you know, I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy from Indianapolis 
we used to have a radio show in college, but he would interview the janitor and, and, and a streetwalker and, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, he, you know, that kind of curiosity, you know, he's shy, uh, he's getting better, you know, uh, and, and, you know, when we go to dinner now, you know, I, I find him, uh, and, you know, he lets me hug him now, you know. You're kidding. <laughs> I say, hey, Dave, you know, there used to be a guy named Jimmy Wiggins that hugged everybody. Yeah. He was brand new. And God rest his soul, Jimmy's a good comedian, he passed away, but Jimmy was a hugger. Hey, Tommy, and he'd hug, and hey, and he'd hug everybody. And we'd be three or four comedians, and we'd be talking, and Jimmy would be coming toward us, and they would go, oh, no, 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 he's going to hug me, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> Wiggins was going to hug him, yeah. But he's he's better at that. Well, and, and the other night at a place called um, Musso Frank. Yeah. Oh, I love that place. Uh, it's been in Hollywood a hundred years. Yep. More, but uh, anyhow, me and Jeff Altman, and Dave, and uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, Paul Schaefer, and Dave's agent, and Dave and Mary, uh, Dave's assistant, and it was great. How long ago was this? Too long ago. Just uh, I guess about a month ago. But uh, be a fly on that wall. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we had a great time, and we you know and we we just talk about things, you know. Uh, yep. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can tell this story. And I guess I could. But you know, Dave shocked me the most. Toward the end, I'm on his show one night, and I think you saw it. But he said to me, "You remember when Red Fox? What's it? You remember that story about Red Fox?" I love this story. Oh, please, please. Yep. The truth was, of course, I remembered that story. Yeah. He said, "Well, you can't tell the story without swearing, and it's got a live audience there." Yep. I think, are you, my brain, are you talking about the same story I know about Red Fox coming out to five people in the audience? <laughs> and I said, he said, you know that story about me. And I said, well, tell me the story because I'm not going to say those words initial, but he did. Oh, yeah. He, Red Fox, and it was a true story at the Hacienda, you know, uh, that, that uh, you know, he came out for the late show, came down from his room and the, the late show, and he's in the wings. He doesn't know there's five people. <laughs> So they go, ladies and gentlemen, and MC, remember, welcome, Red Fox. And Red, Red walks out and he sees five, he goes, five people. I ain't do no show for no five motherfucking people. And he said, good night. And they went, again, Red Fox. And they played him off. Now Dave shouted that out. And I'm looking at him. He says, he said, you don't remember that story? I said, I remember that story, but I don't think Red used that kind of language. Of course, Red did. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but they bleeped it on, on the evening show. But uh, Oh, yeah. I would have never thought I'd ever hear Dave Letterman say things like that. You know. You talk about a guy who uses curse words uh, expertly, like a ninja. Like he will. Like, like you know, whether it's uh, on, you know, an episode of My Next Guest where he's interviewing, you know, Tina Fey or someone like that, and he'll he'll let one f bomb go, or he'll just, and it's fun to do it. Like it, it's he he uh, uses them like they're a calculated, uh, you know, he's so smart, you know, he would never ever ever overstay the welcome when it comes to that. But one or two here and there have maximum effect, and and he plays it like a, yeah, he plays dialogue like it's a like it's a, a like Paul plays the piano. He's just an expert at it. Um, I've always said that about him that his his vocabulary and his vernacular is is so brilliant. And you know, first of all, 
<clears throat> the problem with the F word is it's a noun, it's a pronoun, it's an adjective, it's an adverb. Anytime you don't have any uh, place where you go there, and and after you know if you use any adjective too long in a in a monologue or in a, yep. in a it it loses its effect. You know yep. the first time you'd say fuck in your act, it people probably get laughed. You say it fifteen times, and after a while it loses its effect. And David, yes. he told me a while back he saw Ellen DeGeneres, DeGeneres uh, comedy special, and he and he was saying how funny it was. And he said she only used the F word once in that whole, but she it was at a strategic moment. Yep. And and that was the only time she used it. And, and that's smart comedy. That's really smart comedy. Yeah. I, I told you that one time I was at the Laugh Factory trying out new material a couple of years ago. I think I told you this, Mike, but I was upstairs waiting to go looking at my notes. And around the corner were two young comedians. I didn't know they were there and they didn't know I was there. One of them said, you know, Tom Dreesen's here. And of course, my ears perked up. <laughs> oh, boy. The other comedian said, yeah, you know, he's old school. And the other comedian said, he's old school. What do you mean? He said, well, he doesn't use the F word. And the other yeah. comedian said, he doesn't use the F word. What does he use for adjectives? You know? <laughs> I stuck my head around the corner and I said, adjectives. <laughs> That's what I use for adjectives. You know? uh, I, uh, it, it is a free form. It's a total free form and people can make of it. And like you said, I, I love what you said earlier too. That's the adage that I subscribe to as well. If it's funny enough, you can do it. And but it better be funny, and 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 that's you know you can you can get across everything, but but the broader sensibility, um, where you know guys like 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 Leno or Seinfeld or whatever are known to be, uh, you know, clean comedy. Norm Macdonald when he was on Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, he says to Jerry, he goes, you know, clean comedy is the superior form because it's tougher, and I get that, uh, but. When you look today at the biggest ones that are out there, and I mean, there's notable exceptions, of course, lots of them. Um, but a lot of these comedians are pushing that envelope and being edgy about things. Um, I, I, The polarization is something that, in my opinion, uh, you would be able, you'd be an expert at being able to kind of not be, like you haven't been polarized about anything in anything that, that, that you've done, have you? Like that's that's just not you. I, you know, I... Again, I, I I never wanted to be, and I talk about this in the motivation talk. I said that, you know, there's a Hindu proverb, but actually it's given credit to Ernest Hemingway. And it's, there's nothing noble about being superior to another human being. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. Am I a better friend than I was last year? Am I a better neighbor than I was last year? Am I a better yeah. Uh, 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 you know, am I a better friend? Am I a better comedian than I was last year? Yeah. I say to the audience when I give the motivation talk, I stand before you and I tell you I'm a success. I am a success as a stand-up comedian. Now, my critics would say, oh, no, you're not. You're not a success. You started out with David Letterman and Jay Leno, and, and Jay's got a, uh, 380 cars, 167 motorcycles, and he's got uh, hundreds of millions of dollars and homes all over the world, and David's got yeah. islands and all and, and I say, I was never in competition with David Letterman or Jay Leno. My only competition is my former self. Have I grown in the last year? I listen to my tapes. I try out new material. That, that, that's, the, you know, because in the end, the second you die, everything you have transfers. Nothing yes. you have is yours. You don't own, I don't own this shirt on my back. If I die tomorrow, somebody else will be wearing it. I don't own this hat. You know, we're using yeah. it. I don't own the money, the home, the, 
cars are. It's yeah. all being transferred the second you die. So have I grown as much as I could grow? Have I taken my craft as, and, and my personality as far as you could go? Uh, you know, uh, so that's all your, that's, that, that's my point about being that. Um, I never wanted to be um, anything special. I just wanted to be a stand-up comedian and tell you what makes me laugh. And, and most of the time in comedy, it's what pisses you off. They want to know what pisses you off, you know. Uh, tell us about that, you know. Uh, that's all. You know, you know, again, Candid Camera's great line. Caught in the end. <laughs> uh, Don just sent me, uh, I don't know, I hope you can see this, but look at these hooligans right here. I don't know if you can see. There's you and I got George that and Dave. Here. Now, showing that picture, see, that's the ice house. Now, they just... That's the ice house in Pasadena. To show you how long ago that was, look over David's head and see what you see. What is what is over David's head? A payphone. That's phone. not real. What is that? That's a payphone behind David's head. That's a payphone. When was the last time you saw a payphone? That's how long ago that was. We were all brand new at that time. George Miller, David, and I, and we'd go over to the ice house uh, and, and work out over there. And, uh, and, and now... The ice house, uh, the owner of the Lakers' son, Johnny Buss, yep. just bought the ice house in Pasadena. Yeah. And, and I may be working there. Uh, I, I have a one man show that I do called The Man Who Made Sinatra Laugh. It's a 90 yep. minute of stand up comedy, but a lot of funny stories and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and so that's, I may be doing it out there. One day, one day I am going to, it's on my bucket list of things that I want to do as a result of this. I've got all these little things that I want to do, these little things that just for me, like you said, you, you, it's not about the money. It's about the experience and the joy and the, and the memories that you make and all that. One of the little things that I want to do is I'm going to hire you. I'm going to, I'm going to book the Kelowna community theater where Craig Ferguson has played and, and, and others. I'm going to hire you and bring you up here to do that show. I, I know that we could sell it out. And I just love, I cannot wait to see that show, but I would love to actually book it and promote it and make it happen. Um, everything that you're saying here, Tom, is so beautiful and I appreciate it so much. Um, oh, by the way, I taught my granddaughter. I, I'm almost positive it's a George Miller joke. Um, I've taught my little five-year-old granddaughter to say, in your pants, because it's really funny hearing a little five-year-old girl say that about random things. In your pants, that's a George Miller joke, right? You know, I don't recall it, but I, I, George had so many fun. But explain the joke to me. I, you know. Oh, it's just a thing where you just randomly say in your pants after uh, something. Um, man, I can't even on the spot. I can't even think of something right now. It's kind of like one of those jokes that, uh, you know, it's like a, that's what she said. That's probably a modern equivalent to it. But I'm almost positive it was a George Miller joke that I learned back on the day of the Letterman show. Because um, he, he would take cliches like that and turn them into great routines. He was a good comedy writer, a really funny comedy writer. You know, they roasted me one time. <laughs> it was the master of ceremonies. It was when we were new. I was the first one of that, our class, to get on The Tonight Show, to break out. Yep. So, and I had some fame going in. So at Mitzi Shore at the comedy store, I had a roast one night. David was the MC, And on the dais was Jay Leno and, uh, and uh, um, uh, Marshall Warfield and uh, I think uh, Jay Leno, George Miller, and Johnny Dark, and um, um, Paul Mooney, and I mean, they mm -hmm. just ripped me. When they got finished ripping me, they went after mm -hmm. my wife, who was in the audience at the time. I was at that time. They went after her, but it was some funny, funny, funny stuff. 
but George Miller had his line on me was, he said, the LA cops stopped Tom Dreesen. And they said, you want to talk here or down at the station? And Dreesen said, uh, both and in the car. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you're, if you're ever going to be roasted, you better be able to take a joke because they, they ripped me up one side and down the other and all, all your shortcomings, you know, and they exaggerate them. And some yeah. of them, they were true. And then, and again, like, they, you know, um, Paul Mooney, you know, Paul Mooney, you know who I'm talking about. He yes, be, sir. He, you know, when I was struggling out here in the West Coast, my ex-wife had separated from me. My wife had separated me at that time. And yeah. they were living in Chicago. And I was out here hitchhiking up and down Sunset Boulevard. I didn't have a car. I was sleeping in an old Nash Rambler that the front seat came down. And, and I was, you know, that's how down and out I was. I was really on my ass. Yeah. And Almuni a couple of times gave me a ride uh, to back to where I, I was staying. Yeah. And so he gets up on the dais, you know, because now by that time, my wife and I are back. I'm, I'm, now I'm doing the Tonight Shows. I'm yeah. home. We got two cars. I mean, all the things that we never had. Anyhow, Almuni <laughs> said, so yeah, Tom Dreesen, yeah, he came out here and he didn't have any money. He hitchhiked and I gave his ass a ride. <laughs> poor, poor ass of a ride, you know, and he said, and his, his wife left him. He said, but he started making that money. And my wife said, like, he started making that money. Now you couldn't get that bitch out of the house with two shotguns. <laughs> my, poor, my, poor, my wife laughed. You know. but, uh, it's funny though, because... Um, you, you say that they, they 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 take off on your shortcomings. At the end of the day, you're one of the best speakers I've ever met. And 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 you do love to speak. You're good at it. And the joke about uh, you know you being yeah, I talked to you on the way to the station too in the car. That that to me just shows that they're taking one of your strengths and they're making fun of it because you are you're 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 that guy. You're the guy that had it together. You know we talked about the strike the last time you were on, um, and 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 the organizational skills are are commonalities with the JCs. Um, and, and I mean, they take the best of you and they try and make fun of that too. And I just, I love that. You said something a little bit earlier that I want to go back to, uh, the idea of Dave having a conversation with Jordan Peterson. Okay. So he's now on my list. I, I had a, a list of three people I would love to see Dave speak to. I never even thought about Jordan. That would be fascinating listening to Dave talk to Jordan Peterson and, and pick his brain about things. Um, the one that I always had near the top of my list, and I don't know how much he's on your radar or not. If there is an equivalent to Johnny Carson right now in the sense of somebody who can give a comedian a bump the way that Carson used to be able to. If you get on Rogan's Joe Rogan's podcast, if you talk to Rogan, you know, he just opened up the comedy mothership in, in Austin trying to take the comedy store. Uh, many of the, 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 the um, best parts about the comedy store, about developing talent, he just opened up that place uh, in Austin. A comedian can go on his podcast for the first time, having you know very little notoriety whatsoever, and their career can change the next day. Has has Rogan hit your uh, your radar at all? And how fun would it be to watch Dave talk to him? I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan. Yeah, he can't get on the show, and I don't know why. But but I oh, book came out. I tried, but I'm a huge fan. of I listen to him, he what he's done, and and he also. Well, like me at the comedy show, he all of us at one time he became persona non grata as as I did, yep. you know, at one time, you know, and um, uh, but I I you're right, he's the only show out there today 
that if one one appearance on his show and it's going to change your whole career my, my i'm not you know i'm, I'm doing this 52 years yeah not, but, but i would love to sit and talk with him because i think he's one of one of the brightest minds but he does something better than almost anybody i've ever seen he listens yes he listens to what the guest is saying yep and and, and he lets the guest you know elaborate he yep. doesn't interrupt he doesn't and he waits for the right moment and he'll always ask a, a great question you know yeah i'm, I'm a big fan of his big fan of I uh, I love when you talk about elder statesman. When he has elder statesman of comedy on, it makes me so happy listening to him pick their brains. Um, you know, his, his episode with Leno was really really good. Gilbert Godfrey when he was on. Um, there's all sorts of 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 uh, people and and you again exactly the same what Dave has as well and the best curiosity. Curiosity is one of the greatest um, uh, you know attributes a human can have. Joe's got it. Dave's got it. I think that's something that they're very, that they have in common with each other. Uh, I, oh my God. I would love to see you uh, at the comedy mothership. I hope, I hope, I hope you can get yourself booked there soon. And I hope that you and Joe can build a relationship. It'd be awesome to have you on. You'd be such a good guest on that show. Oh, that'd be so good. Your mouth to God's ears. I would love that. Yeah. Cause I'm, I, I'm a big fan of this. And I would really, uh, I really enjoy that. But Anyhow, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you no, just... but he's a guy that I want to see Dave interview too. Like, like, because again, you've got somebody who uh, broadcasting has changed. Late night has changed. All of these things are very, very different from each other. They don't have on network television. They don't have the followings that they used to because things have been so fragmented. But here you got a guy like Joe, who's a lightning rod the way that, uh, you know, with numbers, the way that Dave used to be or Johnny used to be. Um, and, and people are just discovering it in a different medium. I would love to see Dave and Joe uh, go back and forth. So I'm going to throw that to you too. Like, I don't know if, if that's something that, that Tom and the staff have had in uh, as a, as an idea, but boy, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a fun conversation? Oh, absolutely. Because uh, like, like you said, these would be two, two great minds. I would love to see that. And they come from two different walks of life, you know, but, and, and I'm sure they both have a mutual respect for one another, you know, uh, yeah, I would like to do that. I, I've hosted shows, I've hosted TV shows yep. and radio shows and stuff. I would, I would truly, um, uh, you know, love. I would love to interview Dave. And oh, I always yeah. live all that time. I tell a lot of time, but I said I would love before you, you and I go to that, uh, you know, comedy store in the sky. I would love <laughs> to uh, sit down with you for one hour and just talk about our friendship, talk about our relationship, how we, how long we've known one another, and things like that. You know. Uh, he, he would, he, he probably would never do it, you know. Uh, he, he, again, maybe someday when I'm alone with him, I can talk to him and, and ask him all kinds of personal questions. But, you know, he, there's a private part of him that he doesn't want people to see. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think, you know, and, and, and uh, how do I say this? As I told you earlier, Dave just doesn't know how good he really is. But I think inside of a lot of very, very successful people, uh, a lot of creative people, is they don't, something, a voice somewhere in there says, I really don't deserve all this. You know, I really yes. don't deserve all this. And if I expose myself, if I really tell them how I feel inside, they'll think, you're right, you really don't deserve all this. Yep. <laughs> uh, but we're, again, Neil Brennan's not afraid to go to places like that. No. 
and, and it doesn't make him right or him wrong. Some people just don't want to go there. It's it's too painful to go there or too uneasy to go there. And and other people are, are just free with that. It, it you know, that's that's why it, what makes the world around doesn't it? All these different personalities, you know. It's without I, a doubt. I, I, I certainly um can relate to this personally. This last year, I've gone through two or three different little bouts of imposter syndrome. Um, and and uh, it's defeating imposter syndrome is such an empowering feeling. Being caught in the midst of it um, is is dark and awful. And and uh, there's a lot of folks who just they don't give themselves that type of uh, of of even permission to go out and do the things that they want to do. Um, this show for me, I mean, you talk about, you know, the memories that you've created and all that and how people rate success. As far as I'm concerned, I'm the most successful person I know because I've reached out to do something that I love with no outcome whatsoever, except to actually do it. And the memories that have happened, Tom, in this last year, uh, for me, the experiences, the conversations, the friendships that I've built, I'm like, I'm I'm getting really tight friendships with some of these Letterman writers and some of these people that work for Dave Forever, some of the funniest, most entertaining people I've ever met. And it's because I kind of just sort of dared to take a step forward into what my dreams are. And 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 the imposter syndrome that shows up sometimes, or the crabs in the bucket that try and pull you down when you even say out loud what you want to do. Defeating that and empowering yourself is one of the greatest feelings that I've ever, ever experienced. And and I've, I need to tell you this, um, and not like Dave, I know that you can take a compliment. I know that, uh, you know, you will, when I tell you this, you are a huge part of that, Tom. Like for me, like, as far as I'm concerned, this little experiment that was the Letterman podcast gained credibility the moment you came on as a guest. And, and, and I mean, it's, I just, I cannot thank you enough for that. I can't thank you enough for the messages that you give to people, the the, the giving spirit that you have. Um, I I can't thank you enough for just being you, Tom. Like, I, I appreciate you so, so much. Um, the fact that I can just text you every now and then a picture of something or, or a memory of, of something. When I watched you on Dave's show growing up, I cannot believe it. And it was all a matter of just stepping out and reaching out to you that first time. And you never know what might happen. And I think that people who view or listen to this program here, if there's an itch, if there's something inside, if there's something that you've always wanted to do, but maybe have been even too afraid to articulate it, go do it. Because what's on the other side, you may not be able to predict it. It may not be success based on what society tells you. But it will be for for you inside, and there's nothing, there's no greater feeling, and so um, I, I can't thank you enough. This is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on again, is so I could tell you this a year later. I wanted it to be around a year. Um, like Tom, you have done that for me, and I can't thank you enough for it. I appreciate you like you would never believe how much I appreciate you. I, I say thank you. You know, I, years ago I was in an acting class in Chicago, and and I did a scene, and the, the, the husband and wife were complimented me on the scene and I was kind of hemming and hawing and the wife said what's wrong with you I said I don't know I, I I have a hard time sometimes taking a compliment she said why don't you just say thank you and shut up I said, <laughs> so, so when uh, that's very nice so I say thank you yeah I give motivation talks yeah I start out by saying before this talk is over with I'm going to give you the secret 
You want to know the secret to success. You want to know the secret to living a happy life. Before this talk is over, I'm going to give you that secret. And when I finish, I say, and now I'm going to tell you the secret. The secret is you. You're the secret. You know, you are far more powerful than you ever thought you could be. Yeah. You, you know, that, that, and I'm going to show you how to bring that out in you. And I do in, in the talk. But, th that you know, you've got two choices, Mike. You can either chase your dreams and fail and, be, and never be afraid to fail. Failing keeps making you get up, you know, we, you know. Every every failure gets you closer to your success, but but never be afraid to fail. You can you can either chase your dreams or you can just think about them and never do it. And one day, be sitting in a bar somewhere with your buddies or sitting around wherever your family and say, you know, I could have, I might have, I should have. And and they're sitting there thinking, if you could have, you would have, but you yes. didn't. So yeah, you, know, you got a choice. You can also be sitting around and saying, let me tell you something. I did everything I could humanly possible to reach success. I fell short. But damn it, I tried. Yeah. Damn it. You know, if you remember the movie, was it One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Jack Nicholson? Yeah. All of them in, in, the, in the mental institution. Yeah. Movie, and there was a scene in there about the water fountain that he decided he bet a guy he could go over. And the chief, yeah. This water fountain. And they all laughed and they bet on him. And he tried and he, he, couldn't, he could not do it. And he walked away and they were laughing, laughing. He looked at him and he said, at least I tried, you son of a bitches. At least I tried. Yes. So that, that that's what it is about in life. You know, that you you you're the secret, you know. You're the secret. This is your universe. This is your time. You're only here for a blink of an eye. This planet Earth has been here for five billion years. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty thousand years, dinosaurs ruled the planet Earth. Man in this present form from Cromagnum to now, maybe a hundred thousand, Cromagnum Neanderthal to now maybe 100,000, 120,000. Yeah. But the planet's been here for 5 billion years, and it's going to be here for 5 billion more before yeah. the sun destroys the Earth. The Earth is moving closer to the sun. So one day this planet will look not unlike Mars looks like right now. So if you think this planet was here 5 billion years before I was born, it's going to be here 5 billion after I die. Not thousands, not, not, not millions, billions. That means your lifetime on this planet is a blink of an eye. How? It's over. How? That you would spend one moment of that blink of an eye Bitching and moaning and cursing your lot in life is an absurdity. That you would spend one moment at blink of an eye not going for your dreams, not going for your goals, is spitting in your master's face saying, I don't appreciate this great gift of life. You know, yes. this life, you know, that, that you don't chase your dreams. If someone knocked on your door every day and as you opened the door and gave you a wonderful gift, yeah. this gift of life, you know, how much would you appreciate original gift? How much would you appreciate the gift? How much would you appreciate the giver of the gift? Every day is a celebration. Every day is a chance to go out and, you know, you wake up in the morning, who, what life might I change today? Who might change mine? What wonderful mm -hmm. thing to do today. Get out of bed every morning with that kind of spirit, that kind of, that, I mean, if you're religious, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, get up, yep. say that, you know, uh, but open up the curtains and say, look at this beautiful day. Wow. I wonder what wonderful things are going to happen today. I, that's part of my perception talk, and I don't want to keep going on about this, but perceive this day as a, all of life is about perception. Yes. Perceive this day as a great day, and it will be. Perceive this life as a great life, and it will be. Perceive yourself as something great, and you are. You know? Yes. I, I, you could go on all day, um, but I know you have a jam day, and I want to be very respectful. And besides, we're buds. I can have you back. Uh, I want to have what about okay? What do you think of this idea? What do you think of the idea of having you and Jeff on one time? 
fun. I mean, I love Jeff. I mean, we, we, you know, we started out together. You know. Oh, okay, great. That's all I need to know. Uh, I'll tell you this. When Jeff phones me, I don't like answering the telephone. And the reason I don't like answering the phone is because the voicemails uh, and particularly the voices that he will use on the voicemails are just some of the funniest things I've ever. And it's just everyone's like a little gift. And I just appreciate that guy so, so much. Um, OK, before we say goodbye for uh, your second appearance on the Letterman podcast, second of many, if I have my way, um, Don Giller, who you just met today for the first time, would like to ask you a question before we end up. So, Don, if you want to pop on. Ask me two questions. <laughs> there you go. Ask him two. <laughs> Um, this is a Frank Sinatra related question. Uh, when, uh, uh, when I was 14, uh, uh, I was watching, uh, Sinatra's A Man and His Music that aired on in 1965. And I remember being mesmerized by his, I think it was his debut performance of, it was a very good year, hmm. uh, because it was released around that time. My question is, did you and Frank ever talk about his music? In particular, that song. Well, you know, not only that song, but a lot of other songs. You know, when I stayed at his compound, first of all, Frank never went to bed till the sun came up, ever. <laughs> Around the road or off the road, he was nocturnal. So whenever, after the shows, we stayed up till dawn, you know, in Vegas or wherever we were. When I stayed at his compound down in Rancho Mirage, I stayed there six times a year or more. Uh, he would come and get me out of, out of my bungalow. And he'd say, come on, Tommy, let's take a ride. And we'd ride around the desert till dawn. And we'd talk about all sorts of things. But the wonderful thing about me, about being with him then, is that when I was a little boy, Shining Shoes in all the bars, he was on the jukebox. His songs were on the jukebox, you know. And, and uh, fast forward here, I'm riding around in a car with him. And, and we'd talk about his, his music and stuff like that. But he, um, the thing that I liked the most was when we were in a car, there were nights he was not the great Frank Sinatra, and I was not this comedian. I was a kid from the streets in the south side of Chicago, and he was a kid from the streets in Hoboken. And we talked about the neighborhood, and people like that, people from the neighborhood, two guys from the neighborhood. One of the, my favorite quotes, and I'm not forgetting your question, but a guy from the New York Times, we were in a place uh, called Patchy's in West 57th Street in New York, having dinner, and the guy from the New York Times was walking out, and I know he wanted to say something to Frank, but he came to me because a lot of times they do that to get to Frank. But he said to Frank, he said to Frank, how come you keep this guy Dreesen with you all these years on stage? And Frank said, you mean besides the fact that he's funny? And the guy said, yeah, besides that fact. <laughs> Frank said, if I'm a saloon singer and I am, then Tommy's a saloon comedian. By that, I mean, we're just a couple of neighborhood guys. And wow. I never forget that quote. I love that quote. Uh, and I have it on, 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 on my book and stuff. Anyhow, but going back to the music, so many times I said to him, he said to me someone, I, when I, he said, Tommy, you ever go through a bad love affair and you're hurting, you're really, really hurting. And you, you're driving along in a car and a song comes on the radio and it gets to you, you're stepping up, oh, oh, so you change the station. He said, and then lo and behold, moments later, another song comes on and it's, you know, and, oh, and you change the station, and then another song comes on. He said, and it dawns on you, those guys who wrote those songs, they wrote them when they're feeling like you're feeling right now. You know, it's quarter to three, there's no one in the place except you and me. When Frank Sinatra sang about a, a love affair since past, when you, that happened to you, when he he lived those lyrics, as I pointed out earlier, you know, that, that he was a great actor, 
he he became that lonely guy. If you were in a bar and a woman left you and it was three o'clock in the morning and you're in a bar and a song came on that he sang called If You Go Away, before that song is over, you'll put a gun in your mouth. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad. If you go away on this summer's day, oh, a, and he sings it with such feeding. But uh, about about the one song that I always wanted him to sing, but he would never sing. I think it was because of one lyric. It was um, uh, the song by uh, the Frenchman and Glenn Campbell sang it too, and so did Roy Clark. Um, uh, what's that song uh, about? It wasn't. Not, it was. It was almost like it was a very good year, but it was a song. It's a song about. Um, uh, oh God. But it, look it up, see if I can find something. Yeah, it, you know, I wanted him to sing that song, um, but there was a lyric in there that, that I think that he didn't like. I once, I once gave him a song, Billy Joel had a song um, that, that, I, that I thought would be perfect for him, uh, that when Billy Joel was just sitting at a piano playing, and, and I thought that song would be perfect, but he, he didn't want to record that, that song. Anyhow, we talked about music a lot. And and, uh, and of course, uh, and can you think of the lyric? Uh, at least one of the lyrics. Yeah, I'm trying to think of of, uh, of Glenn Campbell's song. It'll pop in my brain in just a heartbeat here. I I actually think I have it here. Um, on, how could I how could I forget that song? Anyhow, another time I was riding around with him, and uh, and and he he told me a very personal story. Yesterday when I was young. Yeah. Yesterday when I was young. That's there we go. Yeah. So, so many places. There was, uh, there was a lyric in there about all you talked about when you were young was yourself. You know, and, and that I know he didn't like that lyric because he mm -hmm. wasn't that kind of guy. You know, but other than that, that song would have been perfect for him as, as well. You know, one, one night I was riding around with him. And he told me something very personal. And we were coming back to the compound. The sun was coming up. And he told me something really personal. And then he said to me, I shouldn't have told you that. And I said, well, it won't go any further than this car. And he said, I know, I know. And he was looking out the window. He was in a passenger side. I was driving. He said, but I, I shouldn't have told you that. I said, well, like I said, it's not going to go any further than this car. And besides that, it's not like we're strangers. You know, we're friends. And I don't know what made me do it. You know, I was driving the car. I looked at him. I said, "Strangers in the night." He said, "Song hit in key." He said, "Strangers in the night," and I said, "Exchanging glances." He said, "Wandering in the night." I said, "What were the chances?" And we start doing song. We get out of the car, and he always said, "Good night, Tommy." I was walking to the bungalow, and I was thinking, if I could go back to my own neighborhood, where all the guys in a bar, but I when I was a bartender, and they all loved Sinatra. If I could go back to that bar and walk in, hey guys, you ain't gonna believe this. I was just riding around singing Strangers in the Night with Frank Sinatra. You know, they'd say, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> with that bullshit. But it happened. I'll never ever forget it. It was, it was mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, <clears throat> there was something about the, it was a very good year. I think Nelson Riddle, I think, he arranged it. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I'd, um, just the strings, just, just the, how how the how the arrangement would change for every verse uh it didn't it didn't grow it just took you to a different 
It was an interlude. It just took you just to, to, out. <clears throat> yeah, I, no, I can't. Um, it's one of my favorite songs. It is. That's all. Golden limousines. Those chauffeurs would drive when I was thirty-five. That was yeah. Those lyrics, you know, I, they, they, and when when you'd watch Frank sing it, I'd sit in the wings and watch him, and he would tell that story because that's how brilliant an actor he was. You know, Charlton Heston once said to him, he said, to, he said to, about Sinatra, he said, to watch Frank Sinatra sing a four-minute song is like watching a four-minute movie. Mm -hmm. It's a beginning and a middle and an ending. You know? Yeah, because it, it was, I think, one of his longest released singles, I think. It just, it, again, yeah. you know, that Sinatra had something, I reminded him that in the car one night, that years ago, when I, before I ever knew him, I heard him on an interview. And he was saying, and he agreed with me in the car. He said, yes, that's true. He was saying, in order for a boy singer to be popular. Now, in those days, you know, the, the big band era, they called the, the man and woman on the stage with the Tommy Dorsey band or, or uh, you know, all those other bands, already shot them. They called him the boy singer, the girl singer. So he said, for, in order for a boy singer to be popular, number one, you know, he, young women have to love He said, young women have to love him. Older women want a mother than little kids wish they were their dad. And the guys, number four, the guys want to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. Every singer that I've ever known from the Tom Jones and Engelbert Humphreys had two or three of those qualities. But number four, women, old, young women want to love them. Older women want to mother them. The guys want to hang out with them. So wherever Sinatra went, the guys wanted to be there too. That's why in Las Vegas, he, he no one touched him. He... The high rollers from all over the world flew in to be with him. The drop in the pit was enormous. And the drop in the pit, of course, is how much it was gambled. By the way, that was Paul Schaefer's. When I first met Paul Schaefer, I was talking to Dave in his office, and Paul was in the doorway, and I didn't know it. And I'm talking to Dave, and I'm saying, you know, when Frank is there, the drop in the pit is enormous. You know, that money, money gambled. And from behind me, I hear, wow, drop in the pit. And it's, <laughs> Paul and I think he's mocking me. Uh -huh. I think he's mocking me, you know. So, so I said to Dave, "What's with this?" He said, "Oh no, Tom, he loves Las Vegas. He loves the whole everything you're talking about. He he loves that era, you know." And Paul and I, of course, are real close now. But if Frank Sinatra, you know, there were people who had ten million dollar credit lines that came to see Frank Sinatra. People, you know, Danny Schwartz lost. It's in the Guinness Book of Records. One of Sinatra fan lost five million dollars in one night. Jeez. You know, that's he made. They should they should build a monument to him up and down that strip. <laughs> the guys wanted to hang out with Frank. Yeah. Young women love you, older women love you. And the guys want to hang out with you. Uh, he had all those qualities. He didn't work on those qualities. He just had them, you know. Mm -hmm. But nobody. Mm -hmm. By the way, and I'll finish one thing. Steve Lawrence, who's a wonderful singer, wonderful, wonderful singer. We were having dinner one night, and Steve looked up from dinner. He said to Frank. You know, you ruined it for all the rest of us. <laughs> he said, because when they heard you sing it, they knew how it was supposed to be sung. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, it certainly beats something stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And yet, that was a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. no, I think it followed uh, Strangers in the Night, I think. Yeah, because, uh, because again, it was, it's a, it was a novelty song, you know. And yeah, it was his daughter. Deep song, but. But he, uh, yeah, there's so many songs. What was a song by Billy Joel um, that, um, in every heart there is a dream, and love is one. And, and so I'll share this room with you, 
and you can have this heart to play. Uh, but, it, but it's one of those songs that it's just piano and mm -hmm. his voice. And Frank used to do songs sometimes with just Bill Miller and him, not the orchestra. Mm -hmm. Why he loved Bill Miller, he said, because he plays between the cracks. You know, there are a lot of, there are pianists and there are accompanists. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not, you, you, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. The accompanist, some people, many people can be pianists, very few can accompany well, you know, and, and Bill, that would have been a great song for, for Frank to sing that song that, you know, uh, and he's singing about that, that about a lover, once you've had your heart broken, you just keep it inside, but in every heart, there's a room where lovers go to hide, but now he's meeting this girl and he's saying to her, he's still heartbroken for something before, but he said, uh, but he he doesn't want to be alone. So he said, I'll share this room with you and you can have this heart to break, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and it's one of those things, but, but if, if you if you go, I'll understand. Leave me just enough love to fill up my hand. You know, but he said, but if you stay, I'll make you a day like no day has been, you know. It was, it, 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 but in the end, it's that she's going to leave him. And man, you feel that. Man, you mm -hmm. just feel it. And you felt the joy of his songs, you know. No, no one, no one on this planet. And 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 it, I, it's he's arguably the greatest pop singer that ever lived. No one to me. I've never heard anybody that could compare. Many that tried to, many that learned from him, but he just had a feeling for a song like no one. His son Frank Jr. By the way, is a good singer. Could sing. In the fourteen years I toured with Frank twice, Frank canceled, um, and. J.R. Jr. had to step in, and he did a, a great job. As good a singer as he was, there's something about Frank that you felt that. You know, you just feel that 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 heartache that he's feeling, or that joy that he's feeling. <clears throat> you know, I, I watched him this song a thousand times. You know, I, I've heard it a thousand times. Um, Come fly with me, let's fly away. I heard that before I ever met him. One night I'm watching him sing it when I first started touring, and for the first time, when I first started touring with him, for the first time, I said. Now I know what that song means. He's saying, fly me to the moon. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. When you hold my hand. That's mm -hmm. what I get. Darling, kiss me. All that happens to me when you touch me. I had heard it that night for the first time, and I had heard it a thousand times, you know. Uh, wow. I love light bulb moments. Um, and Thank I, you. what's that, Neil, Don? Let me sign off. Thank you for that. Oh, thanks, Don. Anything else you want to ask? Uh, um, nothing I'm prepared for. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, my mind's a blank. Thanks, Don. I appreciate everything that you do always. Um, and I think Don's coming on as a guest, I think, fairly soon, which is going to be a lot of fun. He famously doesn't do a lot of interviews, but he just did one with, uh, hey, do you remember Alex Bennett? Alex Bennett, radio guy. Uh, he was in Seattle. He was at Live 105 in the Quake, and he would have comics show up all the time. Alex Bennett? No, I remember that name. And I performed in Seattle, not in comedy clubs, but, you know, with different artists, you know, like Mac Davis and um, Turing. You know, with uh, Gladys Knight and Phipps and Natalie Cole, different artists I toured with, and 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 in that area, I may have done an interview with him. I know, yeah, I've done a thousand, thousand in San Fran. Yeah, Alex Bennett in San Francisco had his radio station. Um, I think that's where he would have met you. He might have met you in New York, although I think it was San Francisco. 
um, he had a live radio station where uh, or, all radio stations are live. He had a studio audience in his radio station where people would come in and he had comics there every single day. He was on the Quake and Live 105. Um, anyway, uh, he just did a, an interview. He's in his 80s now and, and is still doing stuff online. Whatnot. He just did an interview with Don Giller. So I'm hoping that uh, it looks looking like Don will come on here as well. There's a guy who is uh, fascinating as well in the lores of in the uh, the lore of Letterman. Uh, thank you very, very much for letting him come on and ask that. And I just appreciate everything that Don does for us. Um, the one thing that you are doing, and as you talked about, Frank, I'm listening to you and how all of these things that you just caused to come to life as you talk about him. And a lot of people have heard of Frank Sinatra, but like Johnny Carson, you did a good job of talking about how you know these things pass, these, these moments, they pass, how quickly our lives are. I love the fact that you are a torchbearer for Frank, for that life, for showbiz, what things were like at that point. I think it's extremely important. And it's just, I'm akin to it because that's how I feel for whatever reason about this, this Letterman stuff, this legacy, the, the legacy of the greatest body of broadcasting work in history. That's the tagline. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why I appreciate you so much, Tom, is that that, that you, you're so you're so earnest in wanting to pass that torch on to others. Um, that's how I feel about Dave and company. And I just want to say thank you very much for the inspiration that you've given to me uh, in wanting to be that. And I look forward to, to more silliness and going down memory lane and, and all of that with you in talking about Dave moving forward. Thank you so much for, for, for putting me in your day to day, even like, I just appreciate you so much, Tom. Oh, you, I appreciate that, Mike. Mike I'm glad you do. <clears throat> Nothing we have is ours. It's, we have to pass it on. Even all the knowledge you've received in your life, all the things you have to pass on. You, you, you know, they're not yours to keep. You know, any lessons I've learned in life uh, that help me, I'm not supposed to keep them. I'm supposed to pass them on so it'll help someone else. And and in the same way with memories and and you know people that you you've worked with that might be of interest to other people, you you got you got to pass it on. If it's coming from the heart, it's never going to be wrong. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I got to run too, because uh, I got yes. two more interviews to do. Yes, you do. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you so much. Um, I'll hit stop now. I'll do a separate intro, and we can say our goodbye really quick here. Thanks very much, Tom. Oh, hey, Tom, if people want to connect with you and they want to see you, uh, where's the best way to do that? What's the best way to connect with Tom Dreesen? Go to tomdreesen.com, and it's okay. D-R-E-E-S-E-N. -E -E Everybody spells my name. They always put an extra S in there, but it's yeah. three dreesen.com -E and you'll find out you know all, all you want to know about me and, and uh, where i'm going and you know i have a book and i would call it still standing um, is the movie still being worked on yeah it's we're, now we're talking more they're doing a documentary on my life yeah. about uh the book from the book still standing and and we're, we've already filmed some of that and we're going to be doing and going to be interviewing david you know um and and so we're doing that, and then we're talking about doing the miniseries. Tim Reed and I were America's first yeah. team. You know, uh, history shows we were the last. So that we're, we're now trying to push that as a six one-hour miniseries. You know, so I got so much going on. Good. I'm glad to hear it. You got so much going on today as well. I'm going to hit stop now. We'll say goodbye real quick. Uh, Tom Dreesen, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're so grateful for him and and uh, that he is a friend of the Letterman Podcast. We appreciate him. Thanks very much, Tom. Okay, buddy. Take care, Mike. Talk to you soon.
All right. How much fun was that? Um, again, you know, apologies for the audio that was on uh, on me, but Tom, just the, the consummate professional that he is. And I mean, he really did, you know, uh, uh, find a little hole in his schedule for us to do this uh, talk. And he did it just without even he's like no 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 i can do this i want to do this and 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 i think that shows in our conversation i love tom so much and hopefully uh you know we can do more with him uh sooner than later i just appreciate uh all of his insights the care that he has the love um for people he's just such a such an amazing guy and uh and again a comedy legend and i think it's important to listen to people like that and 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 hear um, not just be entertained by, but, but, but appreciate the wisdom that they have gained over the years. And Tom is certainly a guy that's done that. Uh, just a great heart. Great, great, great heart. I appreciate Tom so much. So, um, just one more, uh, little piece of business. The Letterman podcast has one sponsor, one sponsor only, and that is Rupert G and the Hello Deli. The Hello Deli is up for sale now. The legendary Hello Deli, um, nestled within the womb of the Ed Sullivan theater, and uh, it's bittersweet. It's I'm happy for Rupert. I'm happy for May. Uh, it's a legendary run. They've done well. And uh, someone else is going to take over the mantle. But the memories of, of, of what they did um, tied to the late show with David Letterman. I mean, what a what a unique place in history, in, in, in business history, in entertainment history, hell, in soup and sandwich history, uh, is Rupert and May. So we still have time, though. Go to hello-deli.com, and uh, you can get your Late Show mug, your Late Show hat, your Late Show with David Letterman shirts of all different types, uh, your Hello Deli shirts. Head on over there. Um, send an order in. When you send the order, send something real nice to Rupert and May, and uh, congratulate them for their um just really amazing special career that they have had um that has been another episode of the letterman podcast with mike chisholm coincidentally i am mike chisholm thank you and good night overcoat and underpants